0: Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us?
1: Yeah, I like the ball like the pulses and all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pellazzolo here with Sam Monson, and that's right, we're here at our new time in the 7 a.m. hour, mm-hmm. head-to-head with Good Morning Football, Sam, with our friends over there. Yeah, and that's why the curtains are drawn. Curtains are drawn, that's why. That's exactly the only reason. Early why. in the morning. But we're here to overreact to preseason, we're here to uh, let you know what to believe and what not to believe with the preseason overreaction. Uh, we've got our charity drive going, which we have to announce. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to have all sorts of football fun here. And yes, we're going to start going early a.m. on Mondays. We're going to get people locked into this. Okay. So, the, uh, our overseas listeners, all of them, are going to love this live. And then we'll get the uh, the East Coast folks nice and early.
1: Yeah, I don't know how early overseas it makes much difference. I mean, 7 a.m. is still noon
0: over on the other side. That's what I mean. It's it's, it's lunch break for them now. Oh, okay. It'd be great. Is That's what what you're I'm, saying. I'm not saying for? it's early. It's it's conducive to their schedule, less yeah. conducive to the United States. So, yeah, before we get started, check out at PFF underscore Steve. We've got a uh, charity drive that's already – it's already humming because – It's already halfway. Bill's Mafia is in there.
1: We are the, – the goal is $2,000. You're already at $1,049. So far – it's just to see Steve wear a Josh Allen jersey and sign the apology form. What do you mean so far? Live that's on the podcast.
0: That's what's happening. Well, I'm going to put on a Josh Allen jersey and I'm going to sign the apology form Yes, for $2,000. For the $2, but but Hope Center for Women down here in Kentucky. Well, somebody in Kentucky.
1: messaged me and said, what would it take to get you to jump through a table? And I tagged you in the tweet and you said $10,000. So, you know, in the spirit of uh kickstarter free or stretch goals you know when you you reach your funding goal and then there's another one to get something else unlocked if we get to 10 grand we're gonna put you through a table in addition yeah wearing the josh allen jersey and signing the form. we'll see
0: 10 grand yeah
1: so you know you can be up the ladder sign the form with the josh allen jersey and then go through the table
0: so after we get to 2k how do we we just wait well, we'll just keep, we it's going to gonna take
1: us a while to get it together anyway. So we just keep going and see how much money we raise. It stays open. It doesn't, like, lock up. Okay. So, you know, hashtag Bill's Mafia. If you want to see a six foot 10, 200 and...
0: Between 75 and 90. Okay.
1: Let's call it 85 <laughs> to 285 be safe. A 285-pound man launched through a table wearing a Josh Allen jersey. Start donating.
0: And I'm going, like... I would go. I, I wouldn't just fall. I would go macho man, full elbow elbow drop here. Top
1: turnbuckle, elbow fly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, Through a wrestling buddy. Like that's buddy.
1: a lot of like, It's just a lot of force involved in that. I'm not
0: going to fall. Oh, man. This is a bad idea. So, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, go check it out at PFF underscore Steve. We've retweeted it a few times. Appreciate everybody who's already donated. Again, it all goes to uh, Good Causes. It's the third one that we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took care of some uh a men's recovery program we had make a wish in kentucky for the kids this is a female a women's uh yeah. recovery program down in kentucky so it's all going to good stuff
1: and next up will be the animals then we'll have done the men the kids the women and the animals what's after that like machines skynet aliens donate to terminator is that oh, a there thing? we
0: go yeah definitely definitely donate to terminator all right today's show if you're up early with us come check it We're, we appreciate you over on youtube but um Let's let's talk some preseason stuff. I think there, when it comes to preseason, obviously it's it's our first chance to see rookies play, new players emerge. I think there are some telling storylines coming out of the preseason and then other ones to overreact to.
1: <laughs> How do you tell between the two?
0: It depends on what I believe. Ah, there you go. depends yeah. on what I believe. Um, so what do you want to do? You want to go through, let's go through the preseason performances that could maybe affect the NFL landscape like actual things we're seeing that could affect it and then maybe we'll do a little overreaction to all the other stuff we'll kind of okay. roll them in figure it out so you can you you come up with some stuff I'll come up with some stuff that we're seeing but I want to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers because that offense looks pretty legit they look Big Ben looked really crisp the other night I know a lot of this we say oh well it's the Lions it's the backups it's the UPS drivers and all that stuff but Big Ben looked comfortable throwing the ball well. They The offense is using a lot more motion and play action. And then Pat Friermuth had two touchdowns there, second-round rookie tight end, who just looked really good. And the at the heart of this, the Steelers have legitimate playmakers. So if, they, if the offensive line isn't as bad as we thought and or it's protected, they could be a very dangerous offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that second, the last part is huge that if that Steelers offensive line isn't terrible, and at the moment it doesn't look terrible with the, all the caveats of preseason, then this offense is not going to be bad. And if the offense is not bad, the defense should still be very good. And all of a sudden, the Pittsburgh Steelers team that everybody has been writing eulogies for all the way through the offseason is actually good. Um, now, okay, they're good in a division that might have two other good teams. Um, so it's not like they're Super Bowl bound again, but. Their, their, the reports of their demise have been greatly exaggerated, and they can offset an awful lot of that with the things that we've seen so far in preseason all happening on a consistent basis.
0: We did just get an email from uh, a listener, David Sainquist, uh Steelers fan, and he tries to bring a reasonable... It's a reasonable question. He says, why is it, un, is it unreasonable to expect the starting offensive linemen to all rank at the top 25 at their position? Now, if he means... The top 25 left tackle or the 25th top 25 right tackle, yes, obviously that's possible. Top 25 overall tackle, say for both left and right tackles, is probably a bit of a stretch or the top overall guard. But he was, you know, saying, you know, uh, Okorafor, Chukwuma Okorafor, who's playing left tackle, was 25th last year. I don't think that was the right, that's not the right ranking for overall tackles. He was much worse than that, but he was a top 25 right tackle. That's not, that's not great. But I would I would say a core of four I have less faith in. Kevin Dotson's been excellent in pass protection, both as a rookie, the left guard now, um, both as a rookie and here in the preseason. Kendrick Green playing center, we don't really know. Trey Turner has been a top 25 guard before. When? Four years ago. Right. It was the most recent time. And then Zach Banner. I would actually say I probably have the most faith in Zach Banner just because he's at least played well in a small sample size. And if we wanted to project that forward – there's a possibility there so it still comes down to there's a lot of what ifs and if you are thinking they're all going to be great or all going to be good you're you're leaning on you're on the positive side here you're leaning on the positive side but what I'm saying is Matt Canada can protect them if they do if they do keep offenses off balance and there's a ton of misdirection and all the things that they're doing there's just less pressure on these guys and they don't have to be great
1: yeah They don't have to be great at all. But, I mean, the big question was, can they be anything other than disastrous? And so far, they absolutely have been. Um, I don't have a ton of confidence in the tackles, but the interior actually looks okay. Um, And I would say that's actually a pretty big part. Like, depending on your scheme, you almost either want good bookends or good interior. I mean, obviously, you want a good five. Um, But I, I would say for Pittsburgh's scheme, having a good, solid interior is possibly more important than having two good tackles, and you can hide the deficiencies in the tackles a little bit with all the stuff that they're doing. If Roethlisberger – all we've been saying about the offensive line is they just need a platform. If they just have a platform good enough that um, Najee Harris can make plays out of the backfield and Roethlisberger can function and push the ball a bit deeper down the field than he was last season when everything was dink and dunk and underneath – then Pittsburgh's offensive, our offense overall is fine. At least so far, they've had that. And Roethlisberger has been able to push the ball down the field, has been able to attack and make big plays. And, you know, the the passes to Fryermuth were kind of examples of that, where he had a bit of time, was able to put the ball down the field, even come up with one of the patented Roethlisberger, you know, uber double clutch pump fakes that faked everybody, including the cameraman. If he's able to do that regularly, the Steelers are not. Uh, to be taken lightly.
0: And I understand the caveat that, okay, it was the Lions. Yeah. It was in a dome. You don't know, be in the dome, the pass game and all that stuff. All those all those do apply. But in the preseason, you're looking for whatever changes you made in the offseason to show up in positive light. So I will just say, to this point, the change in offensive coordinator has shown up in a positive light, I would say, for the Steelers. Plus, you had Friar make those two big plays. You had Najee Harris take... Uh, it looks like when he, when he... Catches the ball, it's a lot of checkdowns, right? He's going to be the outlet, and he's doing something with it. He took just a simple checkdown, ran up the sideline. I mean, it was terrible defense by the Lions, but Najee ran up the sideline for over forty yards on a checkdown. That type of explosiveness, compared with or paired with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson and Juju Fryermouth, Ebron. I mean, that could be dangerous. Yeah, and I,
1: I think. Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. I can keep talking though. Yeah, they
0: go for it. By the way the steelers offensive line last year let's not forget now it was it was a dink and dunk it was a short passing offense they did have the number four pass blocking grade in the nfl they were not a disaster last year from a pass game standpoint but what steelers fans remember what steelers ownership and front office remembers is the number 31 run blocking grade yeah so them replicating last year's pass blocking grade is actually going to be difficult losing alejandro villanueva and david DeCastro and even Marquise pouncey i mean that's going in matt filer that's going to be difficult they should be better from a run blocking standpoint, almost by default, because it's tough to rank thirty first again. Right.
1: I think critically the the point with the the fact that it's only preseason, it's only against the Lions and all this kind of stuff is that like preseason is never success in the preseason is never a guarantee of success in the regular season. In my eyes though, the critical thing is you avoided like failure in the preseason. If we'd been looking at this and the Steelers' offensive line had been a train wreck so far, And they weren't really even functional against the Lions and and the various caveats involved. And we were saying, uh oh, like this is a problem. Like if you can't get it done in the preseason, we've got real issues. The fact that they have been doesn't mean that they will in the regular season when everyone shows up with the starters and the real uh, pass rush and all this kind of stuff, like that might prove to be a bridge too far, and suddenly all the flaws that we've been highlighting in the off-season are still there they're just not big enough to show up against weakened defenses and schemes in the first couple of preseason games. So it doesn't mean that it's going to shine through in the regular season, but I think it's at least they've shown that it hasn't been a failure already.
0: All right. I was corrected and I was wrong. It was in Pittsburgh. wasn't in a dome, so forget it. Forget Forget the dome. All right. So Steelers going to the Super Bowl. We're not overreacting here at all. We're just telling you what we're seeing. Steelers' offense looks legit. Okay. They're going to the Super Bowl. Wow. Uh, do you want to go overreact? I've got a list of like things that are overreactions and things that are legitimately <laughs> stories. Let's
1: start through the legitimate things, and then we can go to the overreactions.
0: Okay. The Broncos look really good. Yeah. And the offense looks really good as far as like K.J. Hamler and Jerry Judy, when they're on the field, look and feel fast and dangerous. This isn't a story, but it's just... You're seeing it. Uh, Hamler was inconsistent last year. Judy had inconsistent hands. Uh, You know, Judy, they've both created big plays already. Uh, Judy had a nice dig route that he just, you know, ran away from the defense. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was the best pass I've seen Teddy Bridgewater throw in a long time Mm. from a pure velocity standpoint. I thought, boom, stepped up, put it on him. Broncos are looking incredible through two preseason games. Does this mean anything? Is this what we expect? I mean, they have a very good roster. Patrick Sertan looks like he could be the best rookie out of any uh, from any position.
1: It's not surprising, but I think it probably it's probably more towards the extreme than maybe that it's at one it's at an extreme of where their range of outcomes was always going to be. Like we've been saying all the way through the offseason that this is it's a Super Bowl caliber roster if they got Aaron Rodgers, right? Now, they didn't get Aaron Rodgers, so the question is, well, without Aaron Rodgers, how good is the roster? Is it still a Super Bowl-caliber roster waiting for like just viable quarterback play, or do you actually need somebody as good as Aaron Rodgers to transform it into that kind of team? I think what we're seeing is that this is like genuinely one of the better rosters in the NFL, they just don't have the quarterback. But the receiving group that we've been talking up all offseason isn't just ready for an elite quarterback like Rodgers, it might actually be good enough that you just need okay quarterback play. Like K.J. Hamler was always an intriguing um, speedster that could take the top off a defense and work from the slot. He's showing that. Jerry Judy, I think, is probably going to take a step forward in, in year two, even independent of the quarterback play. There's so much talent there with that group that some combination of Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater might be enough for this team to be really good anyway.
0: Bridgewater is one of the higher-graded quarterbacks here in the early in the preseason. Do you make anything of it? Do we think? Well, I think do you have so, any leanings as far as where you would go now? Or have you, have you, have you changed your tune at all, Bridgewater versus Locke?
1: It comes down – so now the, this question is the same. It's like now, given what we're seeing from the offense overall, does that change where you go with the quarterback?
0: I've, I've been back and forth on it because I think Drew Locke's volatility – Yet aggressiveness. Are you telling them to stop running around? Thank you. It's like a herd of elephants or something. They a herd, elephants up here on the second floor. Okay, Drew Locke's volatility. Yet aggressiveness with Sutton and Judy and Hamler and all the you know Noah fans. All the weapons we've been talking about is intriguing. Teddy Bridgewater. um, I did see one person point out, and I I don't want to overreact to one person but somebody was like hey Teddy when you say Teddy Bridgewater wasn't great last year we're talking about the great we're talking about PFF grade, throw for throw because somebody else was like oh it's his career year 92 passer rating and all this stuff yeah I mean yeah the stats
1: had, were fine but the, he was not
0: he had the number 31 grade last year uh, right by Alex Smith and Nick Foles just above Drew Locke just above Tua and Carson Wentz I also saw a hilarious Tua statement but we could we could talk about that in a minute um so, my point with Bridgewater is 66th grade last year. That wasn't great. And it was, for him, a higher percentage of turnover-worthy throws. I think more importantly, a higher percentage of just uncatchable passes than you would expect from Teddy Bridgewater at his generally conservative average depth of target. He
1: also threw the ball almost 600 times and had 15 touchdowns. Like this was, even if you want to lean on the box score stance, there's some numbers there that make you go, yeah, this
0: probably wasn't great. Yeah, I just. I think Bridgewater, as far as not missing throws, though, I have more faith in him than yeah, Drew Locke. So just don't – it doesn't have to be dink and donk and conservative. It's just like, give, like these playmakers are going to get open. Just don't miss them. Uh, you might not make as many downfield throws as Drew Locke, but just don't miss them. I'm leaning toward Bridgewater as yeah, the facilitator it, here. The
1: question has become, is this team overall good enough that Bridgewater playing at average quarterback play – at best can take them to a championship. Can he be the washed-up corpse of Peyton Manning writing a Super Bowl caliber team to a, to a ring? And I just don't think he can anymore. Like the problem with Bridgewater is that he isn't actually an Alex Smithian type of game managing quarterback, which might work in this. He was. Now
0: in 2014 and 15 15- he looked like he was on that path those are the that's the other sort thing. Those of, are the last two times that we saw him play extensive football but
1: even then for most only really one year have we seen him have that uh, level of turnover avoidance like turnover worthy play type avoidance alex smith has always stay uh, like shied away from risk he's never actually put the ball in harm's way and so there's always been a way you can work with that right it's like okay you're not going to give us much in terms of big plays, but if everybody else does their job and if your receivers are breaking off yards after the catch and if, the, if everything else functions, we can move the ball knowing that you're not going to screw it up. And literally, that's the job, right? You're just there to steer the ship and make sure it doesn't crash into an iceberg. Bridgewater provides some of the icebergs. So now you have an additional problem. It's like you're not really giving us anything in terms of value add here and you're putting the ball in harm's way more than that type of quarterback does. So now you're, now you're providing your own drag to this system as well. That's an issue. Whereas when you have a Drew Locke in there, okay, now you have to deal with a lot more icebergs here. But he's also bringing something to the table, which is like one of the league's higher uh, big-time big throw rates in the, like out there. So the question with Locke is, can he just raise the baseline? Can you get a little bit more consistent and a little bit more efficient with everything else and then we can ride the fact that you're a bit more of a roller coaster and like target the high variance and just hope we hit a good run to me i just don't think that bridgewater now has a high enough baseline for everything to be for, to, to rely on everything else around him i don't think he can facilitate the play of everybody else because he's going to screw up too much
0: for perspective uh using that teddy bridgewater's had three full-time seasons Never had more than 17 big-time throws. And when you're looking at big-time throws versus turnover-worthy throws, it's, 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 it's like looking at touchdown-to-interception ratio, but it's better. It's more consistent, right? Big-time throws, you, most quarterbacks, are, you want to look at like a 2-to-1 ratio. The elite quarterbacks are 3-to-1, 4-to-1. Like Tom Brady and Rodgers, they, they're a 3-to-1, 4-to-1, big-time throw-to-turnover-worthy play type of, type of quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater for his career is 1-to-1.
1: Yes, big-time in two pros, of those three seasons, plays. he's had more turnover-worthy plays than big-time yeah. throws. He's
0: got one more turnover-worthy. Right. That play is than very big much not Alex Smithian. So anyway, I I think all I'm seeing from the Broncos is a little confirmation that hey, they've got a good roster, they've got those elite playmakers. Uh, they, if they hit on Patrick Sertan, that that defense is just going to be fascinating, especially playing the Chiefs twice and playing the Chargers twice and playing the Raiders twice. So I think the Broncos look dangerous, but still remains what happens at quarterback
1: so Smith for his career we've got 224 big time throws and 157 turnover worthy plays so like Smith's big time throw rate is not high and we graded his you know 06 to 09 he was right we we lost the 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 terrible stuff at the start um but like that's the point Alex Alex Smith who has been one of the most sort of risk averse quarterbacks and not a big time throw merchant or anything like that you still have a massive gap between how many big plays he's making, and how many times he's putting the ball in harm's way, Bridgewater?
0: You don't. All right. I want to. I want to transition from that because the Alex Smith thing brings up a good question. That
1: so you're going Bridgewater though.
0: I'm going quarterback Bridgewater. battle. I think he's got a. I I, I usually embrace volatility. Hmm. With with the with a with a Drew Lock, I just I think I would go the safer play here with the Broncos. I, I think he'll hit. I, th- I want a guy that's going to hit the open throws, and I think that's more important for this Broncos team rather than the volatility of a Drew Lock. I think you have to give Drew Lock every possible opportunity
1: to win this job, and then if it doesn't happen, settle for Bridgewater. Uh, All right. I, I, to the point where I think I would probably just name Lock the starter, and then I can turn to Bridgewater yeah. if Lock plays his way to the bench, but. You're not winning anything with Bridgewater, and this team is actually capable of winning something all of a sudden.
0: I want to get into some QB development. Before we get into it, got to give a shout-out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy-to-use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry, and PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They feature multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage, but most importantly, if you're coming from a different site, it's not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus $6,000. It's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. Uh, The Alex Smith thing, really quick. If you guys have premium stats, 2.0. You get to see. uh, It's all part of your PFF Elite package. You can see Alex Smith's career. Um, We missed his – we didn't grade his 2005, but in 2006 – a 49 grade 07 limited time 52 grade 09 he starts to get better he's 71 grade but even in 2010 60 grade so four years into Alex Smith's career if we were podcasting in 2011 we would be like dude why would you ever want to start Alex Smith he's mm-hmm. got one good season out of four it wasn't even that great but he ended up becoming a pretty viable starter starting in 2011 uh, under Jim Harbaugh and then carried it over into Kansas City again. Not a not great, but he had a good career. Mitch Trubisky looked pretty good for the Bills this past weekend against against the Bears. A little Mitch Trubisky revenge game. Um, so speaking generally here, as much as we like to, you look, you've got you've got such a condescending smirk. A condescending smirk anytime Mitch Trubisky's name is mentioned.
1: I, I'm just—you are—you—you are you, you're invoking Alex Smith to rescue the
0: career of Mitch Trubisky. No, no, no. I'm speaking generally here. Are we? We always talk about like we mentioned before the year. If two is not good, just move on. Just get just get rid of him. Just get on to the next guy. Mm-hmm. Are we going to? Are we missing out on some QB development because of? The new world we live in, where yeah, we only probably. want to give two years instead of four.
1: By the way, <clears throat> somebody asked. Uh, somebody asked us for the love of God, get cough buttons. We had cough buttons. The ones that we had apparently started creating. Stop coughing? Feedback into the system. In my coughing. So they've been removed from the loop, but it has been. It's been escalated to uh, to the appropriate powers.
0: Maybe new cough buttons will be arriving. Yeah. And we'll be Hopefully, able to ones cough. that do well and don't create the buzz. Right, and we'll be able to cough in yeah. silence again. Just, just a little bit creeping of, back to an average here on the PFF episode. Just a
1: production note for everybody. Um, yeah, look, I I would point out though that the game, like the game has changed since Alex Smith came into it back in 2005. So agreed. It, constant like everyone. This is always a problem with this sort of like, hey, how what's the best way of developing quarterbacks or how what is the approach that everybody should take to quarterbacks? Should they start? Should they sit? And you always invoke these guys and you're going back like 20 years to do it. Yeah, but, like, that – it's irrelevant. Like, how the league was back when, like, Rich Gannon showed up for this twilight of his career and suddenly was an MVP candidate in Oakland, it just – it doesn't connect in any way, shape, or form to today's NFL. It's different. Everything is – and this is why the, this, the logic people use of, like, oh, the, no team that's done whatever has ever won a Super Bowl. Like, yeah, but, like, the game – 10 years ago is almost completely different to how it was now, which means your Super Bowl sample size is one of 10 maximum, which I mean, is only meaningless.
0: been 55 Super Bowl right. winners anyway.
1: Even if you were taking them all as equal, like the, the first Super Bowl back with Lombardi's Packers is equally applicable to the one that just got played between Tampa Bay and Kansas City. It's silly. So, yeah, like Alex Smith... Alex Smith, in today's NFL, if he started the way he did, would probably not make it to where he made it. Like, they would just get rid of him. He would be gone. He would be Josh Rosen.
0: Why is it different? Is it because of because
1: we've seen this, CBA?
0: Is No, Because we've
1: seen this extended run of, yeah, cheaper quarterbacks that either get it or don't immediately right out of the gate, and it's not as financially crippling to go, whoops, we screwed up the number one overall pick, and now we have like a $60 million contract saddled to a guy that sucks. You just go okay we kind of blew this we've given him a couple of years to to work its way out it hasn't worked out and now we have a shot at Kyler Murray or whatever it is the next year let's roll so it's just easier to move on from your mistake than it used to be 15 years ago when Alex Smith was the number one overall pick if that happened now or if it's Trubisky like the Bears have moved on okay you sort of play out the first contract but once it's clear that's done he's not going somewhere else to be a starter he's a backup until until circumstance gives them an opportunity to show otherwise. That's how it works. So, yeah, you're probably losing some guys that over the course of five, six years develop into a a starter. But that's the way of the world now, because in order to get the guys that hit the ground running out of nowhere, the Dak Prescotts, the Russell Wilsons of the world, you have to lose some of these guys that get endless opportunities because at one point they were the number one overall pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be clear, it's not like Trubisky's never been good statistically. Remember, he had his 2018 season, 95 passer rating. The Bears won a ton of games, but by our numbers, extremely consistent, despite his stats moving up and down, Trubisky, 63, 64, 63 PFF grades. I just thought he looked really, he just, he looked a little different on Saturday for, you know, 25 dropbacks or whatever it was, but he looked a little different, and it did get me wondering about Brian Dayball being the offensive coordinator there. What he did with Josh Allen? Can he, you know, I would say from a Bill standpoint, it's worth getting a Trubisky in the building, who clearly sure. had first-round talent, and I mean, you know, see if he could be a reclamation project. And the very, very it, early returns are like, all right, maybe they hit on something here.
1: Even if he can't be, like as he said, Trubisky won a lot of games in Chicago. Like he may have never played well, but the level of him not playing well is good enough for a good team to win games. So if he's your backup, backup. yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, like he's one of the better backup. backups in the NFL, and one of the more difficult to actually defend. If you end up turning to Trubisky for a couple of games, you're not in bad shape. Like you could win those games just because Trubisky has enough in him to make some plays, and the rest of the team is presumably pretty good. You could be fine. Like it, turning to turning to Trubisky as a backup is not the same as turning you know to Ben DiNucci as a backup. Like if, you, if you're if you turning to Denucci, you're writing that game off. It's done. <laughs> Nobody in the building believes you are winning that game. If you're turning to Trubisky as a backup, you're like, all right, we can still win. This is okay.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. Eric Eager talks about this a lot. He argues about the, the environment for developing quarterbacks because of the CBA and less practice time and all these different things. The environment for development is not there as much. Yeah. I feel like I would still take the chance you know i would still just kind of hold four quarterbacks on my team because i don't because i also think special teams importance has been diminished so keeping that last special teamer on your roster for a kickoff like the, your kickoff team is far less important now because of all the touchbacks
1: right the problem, if i want to
0: kick a touchback every time i can to in lieu of maybe developing and stumbling into a, an asset as a quarterback yeah the,
1: the problem with like with the practice time and all those kinds of things like when are you even seeing these guys like you're not a ton. Yeah, you just occasionally, I mean all you're doing is seeing them in like very limited um, just like drills. You're not even seeing them play. Like you're not even seeing them get real practice reps. You're just seeing them throw against air without most of a team either side. That's it's, why I think
0: preseason's important to get to get well, that it's, game. Well, it's back
1: important here. because it's the only thing you get to see them with, but it's not important in terms of meaning anything. This is the issue is that I think there isn't but they're,
0: but they're reps. There's, there's probably for some, if these guys are going to develop, there's probably some sort of tipping point as far as a thousand dropbacks, 1500 dropbacks, whatever it is where they could. Right. But that's like 10 drives. years worth of preseason know, know, like, know. The I know.
1: problem is you're just never reaching that stage of getting to know anything for these guys. And practice reps are so limited that if you're in the number three quarterback, which is where you probably need to be. If you're like a true, just a developmental, you know, project. You get the starter getting almost all the reps, you get the backup getting just enough so that he stays like knowing what's going on, and the number 3 guy is getting like 3 at the end of practice. Like remember when we went to Jets camp? That was how it was, right? There was um Josh McCown getting a bunch. I don't even remember who the the other guy it was, was. Fitz and Gino. Fitz. Um and then it was then it was Hackenberg getting like 3 at the end of practice. He was fourth string just to right like here. just to make sure that he got something, right? Yeah. Cuz if he didn't they knew they'd be answering questions about it all day long. But it's like, you're not getting anything out of that. That's a, that's a waste of everybody's time. Literally, the only purpose of this guy getting snaps was so that you didn't have to go to the media scrum and answer why Hackenberg hadn't seen any snaps that day because he was your second-round pick. But like the three snaps that he got at the end of practice was literally a waste of everybody's time. The, either side got nothing out of it. Hackenberg got nothing out of it because it's three snaps and then to the bench and the cameraman got hit in the head with (laughs) Hackenberg's pass so it was just there's no way there's no capacity anymore to actually transform anybody with practice reps is what I'm saying
0: that I want to transition into this then some of the second year quarterbacks Tua for whatever it's worth looking a little bit more comfortable right now uh Jacob Eason with the Colts had a good first week not so much this week uh he doesn't play with great timing, but he he, sh- he does have that cannon for an arm. People are that people liked, you know, for a mid round pick. And Jordan Love did a lot of Jordan Love things in his one game with the Packers before before getting hurt. Uh, Jordan Love didn't play last year. Eason didn't play last year. Tua, I don't think looked great last year. I did see a Dolphins fan say that he had one of the best rookie seasons of all time. I don't know by which which metrics, but What's
1: Dolphins fan and.
0: Like, and analyst. Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, um, that's just wrong. Like, it's, it's yeah. not even... These I mean, Dolphins fans wouldn't look at him and be like, yeah, man, loved, loved what Tua did last year. Right. He's incredible.
1: There's room for a spectrum of opinion on football and general and, you know, people and performances. But, like, the reason a lot of people are down on Tua is that by comparison to two rookies in his own class, he was nowhere near them. Like, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow were obviously streets ahead of where Tua was and consequently everyone is like "Uh uh-oh Tua we're out on Tua he doesn't have it compared to these two
0: guys but even even in this overreaction world where you can still say I didn't like what I saw from Tua last year but I did like what I saw from him coming out of Alabama and think he's got a chance here um I would say I'm I was a little concerned by some things but you know he's coming off of injury and there's still room to improve I, I thought he I, th- I thought he looked really good the other night. Pocket movement was excellent against the Falcons. I, look, I, I just think Tua in this preseason looks a lot better than he did last year overall. Yeah. Small sample size caveat always applies. Applies. It's a one game. It's a one game sample essentially. Thirty six dropbacks right. for Tua um, in, in a seventy six PFF grade. It's not like he's lighting the world on fire from a grading standpoint. But even just like a simple check down touchdown the other night where the linebacker was terrible. You saw Tua just maneuver the pocket. I think he always works quickly through progressions, and that you're seeing that. And I also think the Dolphins' weapons are going to help this year. If Jalen Waddle can stay healthy, I mean, they've, they've got some plays to make there. So I'm encouraged by Tua. I, I thought Jordan Love in his 118 drop dropback game, you saw the full Jordan Love experience, which was a laser beam up the seam. And then a uh, loft into double coverage off his back foot. But hmm. there was, there was the stuff that you liked from Jordan Love coming out of Utah State was there. Yeah. Right, have we? Re- have, here's my question, sorry. Have we just put a ton of really good quarterbacks, at least starting caliber quarterbacks into the NFL, where we already have a ton of starting caliber quarterbacks over these last two years here?
1: Yeah, it, it is going to be interesting if like a ton of these guys actually work out. And we'll get to the rookies as well because like, all of them look good. Um, But, yeah, if if Tua actually turns out to be okay after a bumpy um, rookie season, certainly compared to the other two, if the other two continue, like we haven't seen Joe Burrow yet when he's working his way back from that knee injury, um, Herbert isn't going to play at all in preseason because the Chargers have just decreed it. So we're not going to see those two guys until the regular season. But if, like, all three of those pan out, and if somehow the five first-round quarterbacks from this year pan out, Like, that's already a quarter of the NFL staffed with quarterback or starting caliber quarterbacks just from the last two seasons. In addition to what was already in the NFL to begin with, this is why I genuinely think that teams like Washington are saying, all right, we're just going to roll and see what happens. Like, we're going to keep Fitzpatrick this year. Maybe Fitzpatrick plays well enough to win the job next year and we'll give him another year. Maybe He doesn't. Maybe Taylor Heineke shows up this year. Whatever. We'll figure out quarterback because it's no longer that hard to find a starting caliber quarterback. Like a quarter of the league just entered in the last year and people like, you know, Marcus Mariota and Trubisky and whoever, like these guys are now taking backup jobs because there aren't any starting gigs. These are players that could start in the NFL, particularly, you know, if we think that our system can give them a better shot than wherever they came from. I, it's no longer this terrifying prospect of not having a starting quarterback and spending the next decade in the wilderness looking for one. You can find these guys. They're out there. And all of a sudden, like, the the interesting part to me is, is is this just a run? Have we just come across a period of, like, rich bounty for quarterbacks? Or is this now the, lead, the NFL and college have moved close enough together that, like, the straight line between college systems and the NFL is just producing more players.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I, I think it's, I think it's college NFL merging together. Cause you remember
1: don't... it used to be like, we used to be terrified of oh the spread in college is about to yeah. ruin. There's going to be no good quarterbacks for the next 25 years. Oh, no,
0: this quarterback's never taken a snap on right. center. How's he going to change, you know, transition to the NFL. So yeah, I, I think it's a big part of college and NFL merging. I think it's NFL passing rules, right? It's, it is just easier for quarterbacks. Um, so, so here's the thing. If, if over the last two years, we just brought in Burrow, Herbert, and Tua, and maybe Jordan Love is starting caliber. That's four guys. This, this year, there's five first-rounders, and they do all look pretty good. They all look like they're at least going to be players. I, you know, They're at different levels, I think, of their development or whatever, but from Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, they're all starting caliber for sure. Right, and when I use starting caliber, I'm not saying these guys are the people you want to, you know, give 100 million dollars to or give 40 million a year. I'm just saying they are starting caliber. You're not embarrassed by putting them out there. You mentioned Ben DiNucci. You don't feel very good right. about Ben DiNucci. None of these guys are Ben there. DiNucci. Yes, I mean you, I mean, you, you don't can feel... say that already. And you mentioned Mariota and Trubisky, like Case Keenum, is a fringe Like you've got high-end backups like a Case Keenum. I think Jacoby Brissett is a high-end backup. But I think Marcus Mariota is still a guy that is a starter. I think Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill are starting caliber quarterbacks. We'll see tonight hmm. the battle there. I you threw them both in there. Wow, both starting. They're both capable of winning games as a starter, <laughs> right? They're starting. They they could they could start. They're starting caliber quarterbacks. There's about 40 of those guys now. So is the league, which is fascinating, right? Which is
1: like double the number that there used to be.
0: Not going back that far. Yeah, that's what I mean. So does this make it all the more important if you're a team?
1: Which, by the way, reversing back to the Alex Smith thing, like that's another reason. Like Alex Smith hung on for as long as he did, in part because there were 20 guys. Yeah, because that... he,
0: was, he was an attractive option. Right, that's what he I'm had saying. One, he had his one good year in 2011 and then carried it into 2012. He lost his job to Colin Kaepernick, and all of a sudden it's like, man... The 49ers yeah. have a plethora, you know.
1: There were 10 to 12 teams out there with no answer at quarterback at all um, who were trotting out variants of Ben DiNucci to whom Alex Smith was attractive.
0: Yes. Whereas because now
1: there aren't. Those teams don't exist. So the like the Alex Smiths of the world, the, guy, like the Trubisky's of the world, the guys that swung and missed on that first deal, they're not walking into the next starting job because you can find another one.
0: Because at that time in 2010 – Tebow was a first-rounder, obviously never became a starter. In 2011, it was Blaine Gabbert and Jake Locker and Christian Ponder. Those guys never really established themselves. In 2012, all of a sudden, you started to get this influx. The 2012 draft class started to turn these things around because you got Andrew Luck and Ryan Tannehill and uh, RG3 for a couple of years, but Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson in 2012. And then in 2013, it was a terrible class. E.J. Manuel was the only first-round pick, and Geno Smith was a second-round pick, and neither of those guys – hung on but since that point the NFL has been at least putting starting caliber quarterbacks in there so I guess my point is does this make it even more important to get a high-end quarterback because the goal isn't to just get a guy that you like and this is what makes the, the Andy Dalton thing interesting in Chicago right like Andy Dalton's one of those guys he's a starting caliber quarterback but you would never you don't want to search far and wide for an Andy Dalton for just a starter. You want to search far and wide for a guy that can be top 8 or top 10 year after year and yeah, give you an edge, not just a starter. It's changed the
1: calculation. Like before the the line that everybody wanted to cross was the line between not having a starting quarterback and having a starting quarterback so that you didn't have to play, you know, whoever jamarcus russell tyler thigpen like you go back to like oh wait, these are some of the quarterbacks that were starting that year jamarcus russell still with oakland um, gus ferratt kyle orton uh matt castle that was the year with with brady out obviously tyler thigpen uh jason campbell was still being trotted out trent edwards when one like a year that wasn't actually catastrophic which year is this 11 uh oh oh wait um like these are some of the quarterbacks that are playing that year like that you no longer just have to get over the line of having some kind of viable quarterback. Because if you look at some of the backups that year, now you get into like terrifying areas um, of, you know, uh, Marcus Sopo was getting snaps if your starter went down. So like you're no longer in that world. You don't have to worry about that anymore. So now the line changes, which is we're going to have a starting caliber quarterback almost regardless of what we do where does it move the needle like where did, where is the line between any of these guys and something better and that becomes like can i get a guy who transforms everything else around him can i get a guy who takes what we have and elevates it to something different and that is that it's the the matt ryan inflection point what you're shooting for is the the first guy above matt ryan in this pantheon of quarterbacks i don't we're going to get a viable quarterback doesn't matter who we put out there what I'm shooting for is the guy better than Matt Ryan who's capable of elevating everybody.
0: Yeah, I think the bottom line is it's always been important to have a quarterback and the best quarterback it always always gave you an advantage. All I would say is don't sleep on the fact that that's still true. Don't get blinded by the fact that you could find just anybody. Or the other super advantage is from a play calling standpoint, if you do have a great offensive mind because you can find – so many starting caliber quarterbacks you can elevate them with a great play caller and a great situation so if you are a team like washington or whatever and you don't have a chance at the top guy and you get a bridge quarterback like ryan fitzpatrick the way you're going to elevate him is by flooding him with playmakers great play calling which is easier said than done you don't just like hey call good plays just saying the advantage in the nfl now is still the quarterback but also the play caller because he will separate you from all the other somewhat similarly tealed, tiered quarterbacks. And it
1: also means that you can be more aggressive in terms of just changing them and seeing if this next guy is a better fit within your environment in terms of playmakers and the coaching and just whatever it is you're doing.
0: That's still scary, though.
1: It's scary, but teams are becoming a lot more willing to do it. And like so there was, I, I would say, for a, a definite period of their careers, like, Um, Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill are very similar players in terms of just baseline play, but clearly one of them is a much better fit within that environment in Tennessee than the other one was. Um, Mariota played his way to the bench. You threw in Tannehill. All of a sudden, Tannehill's playing at this 90-plus PFF grade level. He's the guy with the connection to A.J. Brown um, that's able to execute this offense flawlessly, and Tannehill's definitely being elevated by the system, but in a way that Mariota wasn't being. Right. So and I think teams are being more our teams are more willing now to mess with that. And as long as you haven't saddled yourself with a Kirk Cousins contract where you can't, you're much more uh, interested in, interested in exploring the possibility of what happens if we just change one average starter for another one. Like, does that actually does the sum of the parts become better than just the standard baseline for each guy? Because the new guy will have a better connection with this wide receiver who's our number one, or just execute this system a little bit better even if like in a vacuum they're both you know 75 pff grade players like i think teams are becoming much more willing now to embrace the idea of just changing a quarterback that isn't above the matt ryan inflection point and so again like a team like washington it's a lot less scary to just start cycling through these guys in the hope that a you find a guy you find Tannehill again right you find a guy who's who just suddenly becomes much better than he had been in the past, or B, that you just don't have to put the investment in, and you can just keep going one to one to one to one until like five years down the line, you somehow back into a position to get a guy that's the future.
0: What's the once the rookies take over in New England and in San Francisco, Cam Newton is out there potentially. Right, Jimmy Garoppolo is out there potentially. I mean, it is, it is flooded, with guys that you're. I'm not saying you're going to win 15 games with them, but you can win games with a lot of quarterbacks. And it's only a matter of
1: time before the Vikings do unsaddle themselves from Kirk Cousins' contract, and he becomes an option for somebody.
0: Quick word from our friends over at DraftKings, because the NFL is back, that's what we do here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, the official or an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Listen to this one. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, No matter what, take advantage of this limited time offer now. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-9. With it, we'll be using DraftKings odds all year. Talking about the uh, game lines. Every single game, we'll be giving you the, the, the betting lowdown here, Sam. I'm going to try to do it as betting awkwardly lowdown. as possible. Yeah, that, would, that's, right? that certainly helps. Guys, if you're into putting the money down on the games, mm-hmm. we're the people for you. No, we we brought up we we uh, we discussed the lines for every game last year. We'll do the same thing um, once we get into season mode, where we're previewing and reviewing every single game. Um, I know it's a QB centric show, but I do want to talk about the rookie quarterbacks and let's go through them quickly. What have you seen, uh, Trevor? Wilson, uh, Trevor Lawrence plays tonight. Zach Wilson. We'll, let's go through them in order. Zach Wilson. What have you seen from Wilson? What do you like? Not like? What, do you, what are your thoughts overall on Zach Wilson from the Jets?
1: Wilson looks really good. Like, yes. Um this is the perfect preseason caveat, right? Just because you look great in preseason doesn't mean you're going to be great in the regular season. Um, It is an easier brand of football. But you can't help be impressed by just how easy Zach Wilson is making it look. Um, It just, like, sometimes with quarterbacks, these guys just have this level of comfort and calm and poise. It's the stuff you want, right? Like, just that ability to look poised in the pocket and always know where you're going with the ball – I mean, Zach Wilson has just looked phenomenal. Two big time throws so far. hasn't had a turnover worthy play. Um, is you know nine point six yards per attempt. That's a pretty impressive number. And he's just back there executing the offense, looking like he's been doing this for years. And all of the concerns that anybody had at draft time in terms of like small sample size, lower level of competition, what does this look like in the NFL? Looks the same. Like this is the same guy he was at BYU in the NFL preseason
0: yeah I mean we mentioned his in his first game there was was a laser deep out cut which was great he we got to see more of him against the Packers seam route for a touchdown threw it away from the leverage of the free safety Uh, generally it's not good when quarterbacks move backwards in the pocket but we used to say this about like Baker used to have a good feel for doing this in the pocket Mahomes obviously does this a lot uh, but more good than bad when he does it Wilson did this a little bit the other day where you can retreat a little bit in the pocket just to create room to throw you're not retreating like cousins used to do it obliviously what you would know, he would he would just kind of like drift back drift back and what you're doing is you're ruining the leverage of your blockers wilson his pocket movement and feel is what has really impressed me he knows when to avoid the rush he had that play where he hit Corey davis up the sideline where he just kind of maneuvered down and out and he's got the arm to get it outside the outside the numbers he looks really comfortable. He looks really solid right now. Um, and I would say Wilson out of all the quarterbacks has probably been the best at just general pocket awareness and feel, which is, which is huge because all the other rookies we saw, Justin Fields get popped, whether that was on his, on him or not. Trey Lance has taken a ton of sacks and just, you know, hasn't been great in that area. Even Trevor Lawrence fumbled in the pocket. So, I love what I'm seeing from Zach Wilson so far.
1: Yeah, it looks spectacular. I mean, again, it doesn't mean it will once the real bullets start flying, but like so far, he looks incredible. And just if you're the, if you're a Jets fan and you just had to like struggle through the last period of Sam Darnold for multiple years, the occasional flash and nothing
0: else, like this is night and day. This just looks different. Uh, what about uh, so again, Trevor Lawrence will play tonight, so we'll, we'll hold fire on. On his analysis, we went to Wilson, who was third off the board. Uh, Trey Lance was the number three pick. So he played last night with the Chargers. What are your, what are your thoughts on Lance so far?
1: Well, uh, Mina Kimes tweeted that like depending on when you logged on, you thought Trey Lance was either a bust or like going to the <laughs> Hall of Fame.
0: Um, and full, that- full disclosure, I had to watch a couple passes. I had to run to the grocery store, where I did run into a very nice fan of the PFF NFL podcast. Appreciate that. Uh, run to the grocery store, and then I came back and caught up on the game. So I left after he looked terrible. I'm like, oh, yeah. I was, I was, I was of the mind that he was trash.
1: Right. Well, that's Lance. So far has been the one that each game has been a bit of a roller coaster for him. Yeah. Now this he did it in reverse this time. The first game, his debut, he looked fantastic right out of the gate. Obviously had the deep pass to Sherfield, but also had a bunch of other um, just passes that looked great. Just drops back fires a laser with good accuracy, hits the guy exactly where it's supposed to be in rhythm. And then as that game went on, he started to fall off. Like he started to miss some passes just accuracy wise. And then obviously had the turnover worthy plays that didn't end up getting caught. Um, and then yesterday it was like that in reverse. The bad stuff came right at the start. And then he started to find his rhythm again and started to get back in to the the good passing. And when he's on, it looks great. Like obviously the athletic system still plays and that, I think, is one of the, like, defining characteristics of these guys. If you find a dominant college athlete, he's going to be a dominant NFL athlete as well. Like, there isn't that yawning chasm, uh, even, in, even going to the, le- the level that Trey Lance was playing at. Like, if you're that much of a freak at that level, you're still going to be a dominant athlete in the NFL.
0: Yeah, he, so, looks, he looks, looks athletic, even at, at the NFL level. So he looks
1: athletic, looks like he has a cannon for an arm, um, just needs to cut down on the number of mistakes.
0: The arm is live; it is live now. He's not. It he reminds me a little bit of Baker, where I feel like a lot of his underneath stuff is just being thrown way too hard. Uh, Baker's done that before, which college- is different
1: to where he was in college. Where it looked like my takeaway from his arm in college was why wasn't he using it as much as? He yeah, had
0: it. it didn't always look this live. It is. It's true. So. He is still at the age where you can improve arm strength. Uh, your point, I think, in college when we were talking, is it looks like he was trying to take something off. I don't know if he was if maybe. he
1: was trying to. I my I was always like a lot of people were saying, you know, Trey Lance had this incredible arm, and then some other people were like, actually, I don't think his arm is that good at all. And when you look at it, it's like no, the the arm is there, but why doesn't it show up all the time? Like yeah. it, I don't know if it was deliberate that he was taking something off the arm or like what the purpose was, but he didn't show that arm strength in college consistently the way you would expect him to. Whereas now, you get to the NFL, and it's obvious. I mean, so many of these just like, you know, out patterns are fired in there like a rifle. Like, yeah, okay, I mean, that's that's way more consistent than it was in college. I don't know what the reason for that is, but it's obvious.
0: Yeah, with with Lance, I think I'm with you. There's been a lot of good, a lot of bad. I've been impressed with how live the arm is. Uh, the touchdown that he threw was kind of like dropped down a little bit, sidearm. Yeah. Puts it, I mean, in traffic, right on his receiver's hands. It was awesome, but a lot of the short area accuracy really is all over the place. He does have the most turnover-worthy plays of any quarterback in the preseason so far, and then again, the sacks. I don't think, I don't think he's getting rid of the ball. So you you, you hear this a lot, right? Um, when we talk about field, we'll, we'll transition to fields now. If the bears have a bad offensive line you'd rather have justin fields than andy dalton because fields is mobile and it's just not the truth and and for trey lance or for justin fields just because they're mobile doesn't make them better under pressure just because you have a play where you break out of a sack and it's a highlight real play we know that avoiding sacks is far more dependent on getting rid of the ball quickly on time having receivers that get open for you is a big part of it Um, and right now it looks like lance is Lacking in that area a little bit, and then I think with Fields, for whatever happened with that play where he got popped, blindsided from you know, the open side because you blindsides both sides, uh, blindsided either the running back, blew the protection or Justin Fields blew the protection or they just or Justin Fields didn't get them into the right protection. Whatever it was, um, there are some questions about what Fields is going to do behind a poor Bears offensive line.
1: It ignores a pretty large. Um aspect of all this which is yes if you have an athletic quarterback when you put him under pressure he will make some of those plays into something more impressive he will take off and he'll scramble for 30 yards every now and again but how much is putting a guy and these aren't like the athletic quarterback isn't always the guy with you know bad pocket presence and bad play under like it's not mutually it's not always set that way
0: oh, Andy Dalton does Andy Really, sorry to interrupt, but Andy Dalton, the thing that I think has been holding him back through the years is pocket presence and feel. Right. Like when Heath gets the ball out on time, pretty good velocity and accuracy and all that stuff. Dalton's just never had great feel, but he'll get rid of the ball quickly mo- Like if you give him that first read.
1: But if you have a quarterback that's not particularly great under pressure or holds on to the ball too long and is athletic, yes, he will turn some of those busted plays into something good. But how many extra bad plays is he creating through holding onto the ball and through not playing within rhythm and all those kinds of things? Um, and also, like, what is happening on the pass plays where he doesn't take off and scramble for 30 extra yards. So it, it definitely ignores an awful lot of that the nuance in that. Um, and the other important sort of statistic out of all this is that, like, when Trey Lance has been under pressure so far, like, it's basically been a sack every time. Like, his, the rate at which he is turning pressure plays into sacks is through the roof
0: right so what are your thoughts on fields because i thought i thought again on saturday he had a lot of those just misses i I thought honestly fields best throw he throws a seam route to uh jesse james and everybody's like oh if if he threw it to jimmy graham it's a touchdown And it's like yeah kind of (laughs) true jesse james barely got off the ground Mm. and it was a it was actually very similar to big ben's touchdown to pat Fryermuth. yeah and kind of similar to Zach Wilson's touchdown seam route, I think he up and away from jump. coverage.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, I, I mean, thought it was Field's
0: best throw. He had other throws, like the other tight end. He had that one up the sideline. It was the same play that they scored a touchdown on. That we you call it the yoink, right? Where you sneak the tight end up the seam, and he kind of forced a diving catch out of the tight end. I mean, that was fine. It was a schemed up open throw again, not as open as the previous week. But I thought the tight red zone play to James was a really good throw.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, okay, he didn't exactly get elevation like he didn't get much distance off the ground but I think the issue is he jumped too early Like yeah, right. he was actually in the air before the ball was arriving at him and by the time the ball sailed over his outstretched hands he was already on the way down again which is a problem when you only got six inches off the ground in the first place um, but I agree that I think that was a great throw and yeah look Fields Fields is going to be a really interesting quarterback to watch because he just has this unusual profile he has that Russell Wilson style of you are going to be an enigmatic player who doesn't fit into the regular boxes. Like the way you play the game is just slightly different to the way everybody else does it. And it remains to be seen like where that's going to settle. Obviously, for Wilson, it settled as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And even if your play is problematic in some ways, it's still like letting you be you is still way better than like trying to force you into a like trying to force your square peg into a round hole the other Um,
0: the other comparison I want to make too I think uh Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson was a guy where when you watched him it was a lot of like first read and then he would run and you wonder he didn't he didn't like to scramble around and make plays in college that much when he got to the NFL I think Watson realized I can I can hold the ball a little bit longer which he started to do and make these spectacular plays I I feel like I'm seeing that with fields now fields didn't get rid of the ball as quickly as Watson in college but just watching the two preseason games I think fields got onto the NFL field and said I wow I'm real I am really athletic I can get outside the pocket and he is he doesn't always play on time and then you and then you break the pocket. I, I feel like Fields is leaning on the outside the pocket stuff more than I anticipated. Yeah,
1: when he already when he said after his debut that like it felt slow to me out there, like the game didn't feel too fast, which is what it feels for all the rookies. I think what he was referencing was what you're talking about, which is I'm
0: fast, right? Is, I right? can like
1: I can spin out of the pocket, and be able to run past these Stooges at just the same way as I did in the Big Ten. Yeah. And I'm going to be the greatest athlete on any field I'm on. Therefore, I have time to work with here. Like this, I don't have to play within the structure of the offense. I can let it wait because I know that I, I can break contain against these guys. It's, this is not a problem. So right now, he is rocking an average time to throw of 3.7 seconds. Like three puts you
0: over th- yeah 3 to 3.1 is like
1: right the, 3.1 the one is the, the slowest in the NFL yeah. all the time 3.7 is so far off the end of the scale as to be absurd now okay it's being skewed up by these plays where he does take off but the same thing is true for all the guys at 3.1 seconds as well so if he maintains anything like that we are dealing with something that we have never seen before like this is a level of holding onto the ball for an age that just does not exist in the NFL, even in the Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers spectrum of right. guys that do this,
0: and the regular season is going to be faster. And the
1: thing is, it's working. Like it's not like this is this has been a train wreck, and that's the thing of it. That's the area of his game that a hundred percent has to be fixed, otherwise he has no business starting. This le- this style is functioning. Now, as you say, it becomes a different prospect like in the regular season when real defenses are playing and all this kind of stuff but we are dealing with a guy who is still insanely accurate like even some of the ill advised passes he's putting up are on the money yeah. like he threw something towards the sideline like lofted it into a guy in double coverage that was like that's a ridiculous pass to even be attempting
0: he's still, and, yet he's much, sorry, and yet that pretty much sorry good.
1: and yet that pretty much hit the dude in the hands yeah. like okay the target was never there. Like the target just didn't like, it's like throwing the ball into a closing window that, and the time the ball was arriving was never going to be open enough for a ball to fit through it. But you hit the gap that was there. You know what I mean? Like the ball wedged into the four inch jam that was left in the window by the time the ball arrived there, but it landed there. Like that's what he's doing right now. Um, In addition to taking off and making all those plays on the ground, but you're holding on to the ball for 3.7 seconds of play. And there's definitely a degree to which you're not you know working through the entirety of your progression before you take off and make plays
0: yeah the thing about fields too I I do just going back to take the off field off out for a second but the way we've described Watson as a player through the years it's like okay he's leaned on a lot of these spectacular plays he's going to make a high percentage of big time throws the next thing Watson needed in his development was to play more within the structure I mean we said this about Rodgers a lot too Rodgers during his downturn 2017 18 19 when he was less productive play more within structure stop waiting for the pit pocket stop waiting for the pass rush to make their first move and then break and contain just because you could do it fields is playing like that and i feel like we're going to get to the point where it's like okay justin just take the five yard out just take the the eight yard pass just take the easy stuff and play within rhythm more and it's a tough balance because we've also been saying this about russell wilson for a long time how what's the balance between playing within rhythm taking the five six seven eight yard gain when it's there versus maybe you know maybe you get a 20 yard pass every now and again maybe you have to throw it away when you break you know so having that inconsistency and just taking the easy stuff that the best quarterbacks always do
1: yeah it's obviously not as simple as this but forget pressuring a quarterback if you even get the quarterback to move as a defense you win right so that the every quarterback in the nfl their numbers get worse if they've just moved from their drop-back spot. Essentially, if you play within rhythm, you're better than if you don't. So if you have a quarterback who skews towards not playing within rhythm, overall, it's generally not a good thing. Now, some of the, this is the problem.
0: But the highlight reel is right. in our head not just the highlight reel, bad.
1: But the tricky part is some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, like their, their calling card, the thing they're best at is not playing within rhythm. So Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, like this, Josh Allen, like some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now are the guys that play the most outside of rhythm. But the balance is the more you do that, the worse overall you're going to be. So it's this very difficult thing where you have to figure out where that tipping point is. How much do you just take the reins off and say, you're Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson, go, go. Do what you do just go nuts you've got a good feel for this have at it right because that's where we do that that's a where the bi- the biggest plays come from and b where you work your magic that nobody else can do and how much do you say yes on the other hand the most efficient way of playing this game is the standard five-step drop back lose the ball as soon as you hit the top of your drop and just play within rhythm um obviously you can't always do that right some of these some of your first uh, reads are going to be covered. You're going to have to go to two to three to four. Um, but this is the very difficult balance that some of these teams are fighting with right now. And Justin Fields, I think, is going to stress that even more. He's going to cause that balance to, f- to be even more difficult to find because right now, like, he's skewing all the way to one end of this thing in terms of not wanting to play within rhythm. Now, when he does, he still looks really good. But how do, you, how do you get him to do that more, and is that going to be a problem?
0: I know on paper it seems like, well, because of the way Fields is playing, maybe just blitz, blitz him like crazy. But there are other times, like we saw at Ohio State too, it, it, that wasn't like a cure-all for the defense against Fields. He can play within rhythm and get rid of the ball. So it's an interesting balance. I think Fields is going to challenge the defense, as I mentioned last week. Our Bears fans overreacted. They were booing Andy Dalton. Uh, I get they're excited they want to see Justin Fields. I don't think whether Justin Fields plays week 1 or week 5. I don't even think I don't think Bears fans. Why is everybody overreacting saying you have to play Justin Fields? What if, the Bears shouldn't even worry about this season. You want Justin Fields to be as good as possible years 2 through 15. That's it. That's the bottom line. This year doesn't matter if you're a Bears. It shouldn't matter if you're a Bears fan. I mean, Sacrifice this year. It doesn't mean you don't want to win games. It just means all of your decisions are geared toward Justin Fields for the future.
1: I've said before that, look, I don't know when the plan to put Fields in is going to be, but if I was making that decision, I wouldn't want to start him week one against the Rams. Like, he's holding on to the ball for four seconds a play. Aaron Donald will get pressure every single play. 100%. Every play. Like, I, the, the like, survival curve in terms of how long you can block Aaron Donald is crossing over pretty significantly to a 3.7-second average time to throw. At which point, like, Aaron... For, there, there are ways you can take Aaron Donald out of the game. You know, teams have done it before, where Donald comes out with, like, one pressure and an average grade in the 50s because the ball was out of the quarterback's hands in, like, 2.2 seconds on average. You're going to the other end of the spectrum. You are saying, Aaron Donald is going to be a factor on every single play, and we just hope that we're good enough to get by that anyway. I Look, if for no other reason... I would keep Justin Fields on the sideline for that game and then think about putting
0: him in there. I, I want to see Justin Fields, too. Like I, I, I'm excited to watch him play football. I want to see all these rookies play football. But it's a lot like, let's let's talk Mac Jones. It's a lot like the Trey Lance-Mac Jones debate for the 49ers. If the 49ers had taken Mac Jones, I don't think it's as, as egregious as the internet would have let you believe. And we're seeing that on the field. I think Mac looks pretty good so far. But that is just, like, a personal opinion preference thing. It's only- like, the personal opinion or preference is I want to see Justin Fields. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing for him.
1: The only thing that would keep me from putting Fields out there is that play where he got buried in the face by an unblocked defender that either he didn't know was coming or that somebody blew the protection on. Like, yeah. in the building there- – we don't know if that running back should or should not have released free into the, right. into the pattern, right? If that running back was supposed to have responsibility for the free rusher that then ear Justin Fields, it's not a problem. It's not Justin Fields' issue. He thought he had protection on the play, and he didn't because somebody else screwed up. If, however, Justin Fields was responsible for that free rusher and should have either known it was coming or should have been aware that that was an issue and the ball needed to come out, That is something that might keep him on the sideline in terms of, look, you need to be able to, if whatever about holding on the ball for 3.7 seconds, you at least need to be able to protect yourself in terms of knowing what's coming, pressure-wise. And if he isn't right now, that is a bigger concern than anything else that we're talking about. In
0: the the battles between Fields and Dalton um, and Garoppolo and Trey Lance, a lot of Conta- i again i'm trying not to overreact to what people are overreacting to because i so i'm not reading a lot of that stuff but dalton's touchdown kind of an under yes he has, is he has the, the 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 broadcast crew's like man they really need a good drive they've looked terrible Three, dalton hucks one up and uh rodney adams picks right, like one the off the, guy. the helmet yeah. of the corner wasn't a great throw takes it 73 yards for a touchdown So Dalton all of a sudden redeems himself throws a pick at the end of the half where the receiver stops. The route wasn't really on Dalton. So the touchdown and the interception that Dalton threw were basically like neither one was his credit or blame, but their touchdowns and their interceptions, Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. I thought it was interesting. Both missed the same throw over the middle of the field high receiver could barely get their hands on it. One became a pick for Garoppolo. One fell incomplete for Trey Lance. So small sample size context pieces so if you're overreacting to some of those plays just understand the, the context there and that's what we're here for at pff to give you the proper context on all that stuff so mac jones so mac jones looks uh looks really good the eagles trotted their backups out there uh, they were absolutely crushed demoralized by the patriots but mac jones quick getting rid of the ball mostly accurate a couple really nice downfield passes mac jones looks good yeah that
1: he that game was one of the more frustrating sort of preseason games in terms of, like, the limitations of what you're dealing with here. At the very minimum, you would like it to be some kind of level playing field in terms of just quality of players, like starters versus starters, so that we can try and get something out of this, um, even knowing that the scheme is going to be different and we're not going to be showing everything and all those kinds of things. But when you're facing, like, one side plays the starters for a like decent period, and the other side plays the backups from snap one. Now you're like, like this whole game is just like worthless. I don't know what we can take out of any of this, but it is the second straight week where Mac Jones has been put out there, has run with the first team, um, particularly when it comes to the offensive line, has been given like difficult situations in terms of like you know run the hurry up offense for a right. drive, um, and has looked good and has flourished. Like actually, hasn't really put a foot wrong. I guess is the point, point. and. It does feel like the narrative, the discussion around Mac Jones uh, draft time was just framed wrong from the outset. Um, We are dealing with a guy that had the highest single season PFF grade we've ever given in college for a quarterback. So dating back to 2014, Mac Jones has the best single season we've ever seen. And the three guys that previously held that title were all number one overall picks. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, right? All sequentially, essentially, had that best season we've ever seen. And then Mac Jones had another one. Now, you can – there are caveats to that, obviously, right? Great offense at Alabama, great receivers, all those kinds of things. But each one of those other guys had that as well, or different parts. Baker played in the Big 12, so, like, nobody's playing defense. Kyler Murray, same thing. Joe Burrow had Joe Brady and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and all those kinds of things. So every one of those guys has got something boosting those numbers. But the point is, when you look at Mike Jones, the, the conversation was always, like, look at this. I mean, we joked about it. Look at Dad Bob Jones out here with his pot belly and his cigar versus, like, you know, superhuman perfect prospects like uh, – like um, Trevor Lawrence, and then the super athletes of Justin Fields and Trey Lance. It was just
0: like Zach uh, Wilson's arm, right? And jump throws like Aaron Rodgers. Like at
1: no point, it just like by comparison, we were joking about what the deficiencies in Mac Jones were. Whereas the starting point should have been, this guy has the best single season we've ever seen. Now tell me why he shouldn't go in the same place that the other guys went.
0: Uh, just we're not overreacting. We're just describing what's happened so far. But the entire class is off. I don't even want to say they're off to a good start. But they're off. They've all showed at least all their positives. Yeah. Um, again, I think, I think Trey Lance, out of all of them, has probably played the worst just because he's put the ball in harm's way a ton. I'm, not, I'm, more, I'm, I'm less concerned about him trying to throw the ball through cornerbacks as I am him holding the ball too long in the pocket and taking the, the he, sacks. He's, he's the kicking. only
1: guy who has manifested more negatives than I thought were in his game so far. Like my, thi- I was. I'm saying- not
0: surprised because he was. I think Trey Lance was always the riskiest sure. one early in his career because he's got th- he had 320 right. dropbacks in his college career.
1: I was saying he should start Week One because I didn't see the negatives in his game that he's shown through two preseason games. Like I didn't see those in his college tape. Now maybe they were there and I didn't see them, or maybe they weren't there and he was just a product of the fact that he had 300 dropbacks in his career. But whatever it is, he's now shown negatives that I didn't think were there. He's the only guy that I've sort of changed my mind on a little bit in terms of, okay, I wouldn't start him now. I would keep Jimmy Garoppolo in the starting lineup until something forces your hand. Um, but yeah, everybody else, I liked all five of these quarterbacks coming into the draft. I still like all five of them, which is probably unusual for this
0: level of action you know. since. Uh, I just want to bring some more perspective to the table. 2009, flashback two years ago, the last time we saw preseason action, Danny Dimes is born. Yeah. Can we remember what Daniel Jones did? Let's let's again, I'm I'm reading from Premium Stats 2.0, all part of your PFF Elite package. During the preseason of 2019, Daniel Jones stat line. 29 for 34. 29 for 34. That's 85% completions. 416 yards. That's 12.2 yards per attempt. This is a big 12 stat line. 29 for 34 for 416, two touchdowns, no picks uh 137.3 nfl passer rating his pff grade however was just a 78 because he did have some a bad fumble in the pocket or as a runner 83.5 passing grade which was which was good um the point there was everybody was overreacting for danny dimes i mean our, our dan orlovsky apologized it was for not thinking that Daniel Jones would be a good NFL quarterback. He what, apologized after like twelve dropbacks of preseason action. Was it
1: preseason when the Giants' like official Twitter account was taking victory laps, or was that Week One? Yes. No. No. Preseason. It was preseason. It was preseason. Yeah.
0: It was preseason. Um, so since that point, Daniel Jones had a, I, he had a good statistical rookie season where he didn't play as well. He had a bad statistical second year where he probably played better. Jerry's still out on Daniel Jones. Jerry's still out on all these rookie quarterbacks. But I think if you're looking at are you encouraged or not? Uh, far more encouraged than discouraged when it comes to the rookies so right.
1: far. by basically all of them. Um, is that all five? Do we work through all five?
0: Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, again, we didn't touch on. I just want right. to mention this. Trevor Lawrence threw a deep comeback in his, as I rewatched the tape and everything, which was ridiculous. It, he threw it before the break and it was, I don't know if it was far hash or not, but it was a laser beam, threw it before the break and put it right on his receiver's numbers. Very, I'm sticking with the Andrew Lucky and a little bit of volatility with, with Lawrence. I think he's going to be better at the 10-plus yard stuff and, and still working through the the underneath stuff. So
1: week one, who should and who will start for all of the quarterback competitions that are still up in the air?
0: Trevor Lawrence should start for the Jaguars. Yes. Zach Wilson should and will start for the Jets. I think those are locked in. Yes. Even though Trevor Lawrence is in a quarterback battle, according to Urban Meyer. Yes. Uh, dead heat with him and Gardner Minshew. Uh-huh. Um, I would start Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco over Trey Lance. Yeah, I would start. I'm fine. I'm. I don't know what I would do with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. I would
1: start Andy Dalton week one, and I think Justin Fields would probably come in week two if I was doing it. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think I, I, I,
1: agree with I honestly, that. I think that's what they might do. Uh, Who? So give the two non rookie ones, Bridgewater or Locke. We already did Bridgewater. What about Cam,
0: What about Cam versus Mac Jones? I would.
1: I think Cam Newton will start. I would start Cam. I think I probably would start Cam, but that's now that's in the fields Dalton realm of like you have a really like short window of playing badly before I'm making
0: a change. I, I think the Patriots are just in a slightly different spot, okay? So I think I think the Bears have to do everything possible to make Justin Fields as good as possible. And whatever that decision is, is there i think the patriots have more of an opportunity to win this year yeah more of an urgency to win this year so it's to me it's less about whatever is best for mac jones for them and i think cam newton there's a chance cam second year in the system and with the new playmakers and all that stuff cam could have a really good year and i think cam could give the patriots their best opportunity to win and then you could also just pull them out pretty quickly if needed that's what i mean and go to mac jones so like and you feel think, good and be
1: okay with it i think right now you have to assume that cam newton probably does give them the best chance to win but it wouldn't take much of cam newton playing as averagely as he's played in the last couple of years before you say you know what mac jones might actually give us a higher ceiling than this let's put him in there so i think i would start cam but what I didn't think was going to be a very close battle early on, I think now is, and actually, like Cam does not have much room to play badly before I would make that change. What and then the final one that's a non-rookie competition. W- who do you start with the uh, Taysom the Tamas? Which side of the Tamas?
0: I'll let you know after tonight. Tonight's the <laughs> defining battle. Uh, Peter King wrote about this, you know, during his training camp tour talking to Sean Payton. I think Payton's like legitimately torn. I think he of course really... he is
1: like this. You don't put that much crap out into the ether about Taysom Hill to all of a sudden just go, "Ah, I'm just kidding. We're just going to be Jameis. Like, of course he's bought into this thing. Like, he's been pushing this Taysom Hill narrative back since before anybody had any idea who Taysom Hill was, right? He started this thing. Of course he's still wedded to the concept that this guy might be.
0: So why is he torn? Why is it not just Taysom?
1: Because every other shred of evidence available to humans says that Jameis Winston has a higher ceiling as a quarterback than Taysom Hill. It's the classic like heart versus head battle. I'd go, I'd go,
0: normally I'd go Jameis. I, I'm closer to 50-50, as I've said, just because I don't trust the, the Saints pass catchers. I would, I, would, I would probably build my early season offense around Taysom. That might be too short-sighted. Who though. do you think they will? Oh, I really don't know. I really don't know. Let me know after I'll, after tonight. I think this is the battle tonight. I, I would. Think this is the defining moment in the competition tonight.
1: I would start Taysom Hill. I think they might. I think eventually, like Sean Payton's head will win out
0: over his heart, and he'll give Jameis Winston. The I'll gig. predict. I'll predict Jameis. In part, and again Peter King was talking about this, because of the lack of playmakers, Sean Payton also thinks Taysom's a movable chess piece weapon. Right? You you have it's Jameis plus Taysom or it's Taysom. <laughs> I mean that's how he's gonna that's how he's gonna position uh, it.
1: We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go with Jameis Winston as the starter because we need Taysom Hill as a receiver.
0: Right. I think I think there's some truth to that. All right, we we titled this preseason overreaction season, so let's let's overreact uh, to even some stuff we haven't discussed before. We mentioned Justin Fields. If you read social media, Justin Fields is going to the Hall of Fame.
1: Hmm. It's
0: okay to take a more level-headed approach and say there are parts of his game that need improvement. There are parts of his game that are really intriguing for Justin Fields' future.
1: I'm generally fascinated by how evangelical the the narrative around Justin Fields has become. Like it. it the people that were on his side throughout the draft process have become, like, it's, it's incredible. They've become radicalized. <laughs> like Nothing short of put him in there ASAP right now, he's going to the Hall of Fame, is acceptable. Like, everybody that passed on him screwed up. Uh, the Bears need to start him week one. The whole, it, it's, it's kind of bizarre. There's no, like, logic involved in any of this. It's just zeal.
0: Patrick Mahomes is broken. Ah. The Bucks broke Patrick Mahomes. Wow. That's a take. He looked horrendous the other night.
1: Yeah, it wasn't good.
0: Now, obviously it doesn't matter. But if we were overreacting <laughs> to preseason, Patrick Mahomes had a, f- a 38.1 passing
1: grade. 55% completion rate. One turnover-worthy play. Zero big-time throws. Adjusted completion rate was only 63%. 4.1 yards
0: per attempt. 44 passer rating. He, he was all over the place. He, he, his accuracy, he missed probably four throws. Just straight up missed four throws and then chucked the interception in the end zone to Byron Murphy. So Patrick Mahomes is completely broken, and he's going to regress over the next three years into mediocrity
1: mediocrity
0: this is the preseason overreaction show guys patrick mahomes completely broken based off this preseason well
1: here's the other thing so okay yes this is clearly absurd but let's entertain it for a moment right Uh oh we've josh allen is getting this thing of like hey josh allen just played had a 90 grade what if we've already seen the best josh allen like what if that was it that was the high watermark and everything since then is going to go downhill somewhere towards where he was before what if we saw, what if you already seen the best of Patrick Mahomes? And he had this incredible run of like three years to start his career where he looked like the best quarterback in the NFL, but now we're going to get this Aaron Rodgers decline. And now we're going to steadily move in the other direction. And the, the question that's always been brought up is, we've never really seen Patrick Mahomes without question. Tyree Kill yeah. and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid. And as long as that's all in situ, we're good. But what happens if you start to chip away at that? And they've started to chip away at that, right? Sammy Watkins leaves in free agency. Tyreek Hill didn't play in this game. Every time they've missed Tyreek Hill, things haven't looked right. And we've dismissed it before. It's like, well, you know, when they do that, they have to bump everybody up the depth chart and nobody's in the right place and suddenly everything breaks down and Mahomes doesn't look like Mahomes again. Well, Tyreek Hill wasn't out there and it didn't look right. So how important are those other elements to the success of Patrick Mahomes, and are, is it a bigger thing than people have been talking about?
0: I mean, I think it's I, I think it's a big thing. I, I we, we're, we're having fun with the overreaction thing. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is broken. I do think a legitimate question is: Will he statistically break the league if he doesn't have a Tyree kill and a Travis Kelsey? Because that same duo dragged Alex Smith to the highest. Uh, highest number of deep passing yards Alex Smith had the highest number of deep passing yards in 2017 Alex Smith led the league in passer rating in 2017 and then Mahomes took that he took that offense to the moon there's no doubting that but those guys were the catalyst for the Alex Smith career year it's also
1: it's a fair question about the Chiefs spent the entire offseason focusing on rebuilding their offensive line so they didn't have another game like the Super Bowl where Mahomes was running for his life and couldn't function right did they do that to the exclusion of building some reinforcements into that receiving group? Yes, this has been and, my point the entire offseason, yes. And if you lose a Tyreek Hill now, it's actually worse than it was last season.
0: I believe the only thing that can slow down the Chiefs dynasty is not having an offense, uh, playmakers that are d- as so difficult to cover that you just – defenses don't know what to do. Just having – or I'll put it this way, the best chance the Chiefs have of keeping the dynasty afloat is to just dominate offensively. And then in the particular years where the defense is reasonable, they're in the Super Bowl. That's it. I mean, that's the bottom line. So do everything you can to keep those playmakers strong, whether it's through the draft, whether it is just spending an extra $100,000 on Juju or whatever it is, make sure you've got Playmakers in Kansas City.
1: And by the way, like okay, it's hard to find a Tyree Kill or a Tyree
0: Kill replacement. Um, I'm not saying they have to have those guys. I'm saying they should right. be trying to roll three and four but, deep at pass catcher. But
1: there is no Tyree Kill replacement on this roster. And Travis Kelsey, as much as we think this is the best tight end in the NFL, he's in his prime. Travis Kelsey is like a few months younger than Rob Gronkowski, who's already been retired once. Like the idea that Travis Kelsey still has you know half a career left in the tank and he's nowhere near the end. I mean. But well, wouldn't be shocking if if Travis Kelsey like reached the end quicker than people are expecting him to. I mean, for a start, when he shaved off his beard, he looked
0: 47 years old. Like, oh, you're onto the beard na- narrative.
1: Well, I'm just saying that like you think that Travis Kelsey is this young, youthful, you know, in his prime tight end. The dude shaved and looked like somebody's dad. Like, this is not a guy who's got that many years left as being, you know, a difference maker, tight end at the top of his game. Like, you might want to think about. The future beyond those guys.
0: So Mahomes is broken. Justin Fields is going to the Hall of Fame. Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase, absolute busts as top 10 picks.
1: Yeah, it didn't matter who the Bengals chose. They were wrong both ways.
0: Panay Sewell looks very uncomfortable at right tackle. Very, very uncomfortable. Jamar Chase, three drops the other night. On three targets. On three targets. Can I make the excuse that they didn't play football last year and they haven't played football in a while? While at the same time acknowledging that Gregory Rousseau and Joe Tryon, two examples, both opted out last year. Now, they're pass rushers. Okay. They are. This
1: is classic preseason. They are
0: dictators of the action. Whatever
1: confirms my priors.
0: Yeah. So Tryon and Rousseau, I would say, sat out last year. And they were both guys who probably would have had really good 2020s as like breakout, like really breakout edge rushers, and really put up high PFF grades and solidified first round status. That's what they were primed to do. They didn't have the opportunity to do that. Whereas Sewell and Chase were already kind of established. They they would have been first rounders anyway, um, but maybe they're they're rusty while Rousseau and Tryon are you know continuing their development. Am I am I skewing the conversation here? But Probably. how much do we care about Sewell and Chase looking not so good right away?
1: I don't care at all about Chase. I think he just had a bad day at the office and dropped three passes. Um, and, like, there's this... It, there was a game, the Tampa Bay game. The Bucks receivers have been dropping the pass or dropping the ball in practice all week long in the, in the joint scrimmages and then dropped a couple in the game. And uh, Rondé Barber had been sort of relaying that Bruce Arians was getting frustrated and was just like, you know, just catch the damn ball as if it's like an automatic thing, you know? Just catch the ball. That's your job. Just catch it. Like, what? Catching a ball is not like the easiest thing in the world when you've got like a cornerback draped all over you. You're trying to run a route, you're trying to hit timing with the quarterback. Like, look, some of them are, right? Some of them are like yeah, thrown right at your face. It's an I, easy thing. I don't like some the of argument. them. Are, some of them are not, it's not the easiest thing in the world to catch some passes, right? So for a guy to drop a couple of them in a game, is not insane it happens um and for a guy as good and talented as chase i'm not gonna like panic because he dropped three of them in a row the that's, first one that's the, f- the, answer, the first right. one he kind of slipped the second one was a pass where he was being led into death by his quarterback and frankly in a preseason game i wouldn't be tremendously keen on throwing my face into that
0: either i choose the opposite of death
1: yes so okay i can accept that one the third one was going to be broken up anyway, even if you hadn't dropped it. And frankly, I, again, I can I can get on board with that. So three straight drops on three straight targets, obviously it's bad. But am I throwing out everything I know about Jamar Chase because he dropped three passes? No. Jerry Judy dropped like eighteen of them last year, and I still think he's amazing.
0: I in, Amari Cooper had an eighteen drop season right. before. Um, I, I that's the better argument. than it's tough to catch passes. I mean, you, you're but you're it, falling into but you're falling into the issue like. You idiot fans, you couldn't do what Jamar Chase could do. It's like, well, he's not being compared to fans. He's but being the, compared to every other receiver. It's
1: more that like we shouldn't expect this to be automatic. The only automatic catching receiver in NFL history has been Larry Fitzgerald. Everybody else will drop some passes every now and again. And to just get like frustrated and be like, you suck at your job because you had a few drops, it's just overreacting. Like the Godwin Bucks, had a
0: five-drop game in what the I'm playoffs saying. last year. The
1: Bucks have dropped a bunch of passes in the course of a practice and then a game. Does it mean the Bucks receivers suck? No. The Bucks receivers still arguably the deepest and best receiving core in the NFL. They will catch the ball again.
0: Here's, uh, here's the bigger thing on that, I think. The, most, the more difficult thing to do is not catch the percentage of passes that you're supposed to catch. The more difficult thing to do is, how to, is getting open, right? Which is why I think drops are, are overrated. Because getting open, it's just like the pass rush versus sacks thing. The, more, the most difficult thing to do as a pass rusher, the thing that happens less often, is winning the one-on-one battle. You win the one-on-one battle against your pass blocker, say, 25% of the time, at best, 20% of the time. That is a difficult thing. Once you win, you then convert sacks, say, 30% of the time, 5, 35, whatever it is, once you have a pressure. So the most difficult thing for a receiver is getting open. And then if you just get open more often than not, over time your drop rate's gonna land where it lands and it's not gonna be, it's, it's, you're not, he's not gonna drop 100% of his passes. He's not gonna drop 50% of his passes. He's probably gonna drop 10% at most. Mm-hmm. So keep getting open and it's gonna be okay. The Panay Sewell thing I think is interesting because you have a lot of smart offensive line folks on Twitter who are like, what do you expect when you move a left tackle to right tackle? And the only thing I'll say is we do see this all the time. We don't see it all the time with the seventh overall pick in the draft. Um, but you know Mitchell Schwartz, who tweets a lot, friend of the show here. He moved from left tackle to right tackle. Now it wasn't in a high. He wasn't a top ten pick. He was a third rounder, right? Was he second, third rounder? Whatever he was, but he transitioned fine. It happens a lot. Now it it's it doesn't mean because every other people have done it that everybody's going to do it. Some people just take more time learning the footwork, and and I'm not downplaying the difficulty of moving from left tackle to right tackle It is a very difficult thing. But at the end of the day, there's a history of people whose results don't change. The actual results don't change. The one guy that does come to mind, something just... I thought I heard something over there. The one guy who comes to mind, Tyron Smith, mm-hmm. started really slow in his career, right? Didn't he play right tackle his first yeah. year and then became stud left tackle. So... Are you concerned at all by how awkward Panay Soul looks at right tackle right now?
1: There's also... There were people that did not love him as a prospect. Like, for all the talk of, like, hey, look what this guy's been doing at 19 uh, years of age um, and what a physical freak he is. Like, he's a big guy. He's not that long in terms of... Like, the arm length is not prototypical, I guess, for whatever you care about that. Um, And technique-wise... Like he doesn't he didn't play like a guy who understood that he had shorter arms and you had to offset that like his hand placement and all those kinds of things was never like on point i guess is the term and when you roll up against a guy like Rousseau, who's like calling card is length and being able to use that that's just a mismatch right you just you're just in a bad position at that point um so in addition to reversing everything by moving to the right side you're now trying to ask him to well reverse everything you've been doing and work on the thing that you were not great at at the same time and do it in the next 20 snaps because time's a waste in here we're gonna roll into the regular season pretty quickly so i it makes sense i think that he's struggling a little bit the question is how long will it last and like how quickly can he patch that together um because like the I also think that, like, as much as, yeah, some guys can switch from the left side to the right side or back again and there'll be, like, almost no hiccup whatsoever, I suspect that's not a universal thing. And some guys are going to find that more difficult than others. Some guys are closer to being, like, naturally ambidextrous than other guys are. Some guys are, like, the most one-sided people in the world. And if they've been doing that for five years, it's going to take, like, a long time for them to un twist all that and work it back the other way so I don't know maybe Sewell is one of those guys but even if he isn't like even if the the even if whatever the changing sides is impacting disappears tomorrow the question is well then how long is it going to take him to work on just better use independent use of your hands and making sure that you offset the fact that some of these pass rushers are going to be longer than you are how long is that part going
0: to take yeah so much of tackle is just it is technique and Joe Thomas talks about this a lot it's technique and then you know our smart ones Joe Thomas Mitchell these guys they want to know what that guy's throwing at them so you get you just you have your set down over and over and over again consistent and then you have the game plan to be able to react to what's being thrown at you but that first step is just having your pass sets you know in the same spot every single time, or adjusting it depending on what you want, and Sewell's just not there yet, so maybe it will take just a ton of reps. You mentioned the arm length, only 21st percentile arm length, 33 and a quarter inch, and again, this doesn't mean you can't be good with shorter arms. Remember, Joe Thomas is somewhere between 32 and 35 inch arms, depending on two measures. Um, It doesn't mean you can't win with shorter arms, but clearly, just like Drew Brees, Is a short quarterback who had to adjust his game for that a tackle has to do the same thing because defensive linemen try to attack your weaknesses
1: one of the plays that he was got on was exactly the measurement that joe thomas was talking about when he said they should change how they measure arm length right yeah you know the, the, the way they do it at the moment is like arms to your side and then we run a tape measure essentially what he was saying is you should have some kind of like board that goes in the middle of your chest and how far out you can reach with two palms should be your your length, and that's exactly like the the mechanism that Sewell was beaten by, right? He had a guy with one hand in the center of his chest plate, and the problem is he couldn't with his two hands either side of that, reach the dude. So he literally like just no hands on the block and getting driven backwards. Now it might not matter, right the one arm is going to be longer than two in terms of right. how you how you work that. that's why that's a pass rush move. But the point that Thomas was making is that gives you a better idea of how long this guy actually is, and how many of those guys can sort of get into you with that one, with that long arm move. If you have an extra two or three inches on that reach with the the one guy with his hand in your chest plate, that's helpful. And Sewell doesn't.
0: The other thing I'm saying too is he looked he was slow off the ball, and when if you're so focused on your footwork, how are you going to have independent hand usage? How are you going to use your hands? in pass protection the way you need to be or even worry about you're just worried about getting off the ball properly so um, it doesn't look great early on here for Panay Sewell I'm not worried though I don't because we're not overreacting here or are we it's the overreaction show Panay Sewell Jamar Chase they're both busts Uh regrettable top 10 picks Patrick Mahomes broken Mitchell Trubisky I mean Trubisky is a higher graded quarterback than Patrick Mahomes right now so the Bears got it right
1: yeah back in back back That's originally the
0: 2017 the Bears got it right okay Trubisky and they picked Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson. Look at them now. They got the right guy. <laughs> who's, the, who's laughing now? Trubisky's the best quarterback in the NFL in yeah, that draft Turns class out the right Bills now. are laughing because they, they Bills have Bills are it. laughing. They stole, stole Trubisky from the Bears. Anyway, we're having some fun. It's a preseason overreaction show. Uh, there are some truths in preseason, and I think a lot of them are found with our premium stats 2.0. We have every single play graded, every single stat, and uh, we've got a Monday night game here tonight as well. Oh, we've got our discount code. I've been I've been pushing the grades and mm. the stats all day here. Now there's What's a sale. This? There is a sale. We've got 30% off. What is this? Is this new time? Kickoff 30. We've got a kickoff sale. Oh, the link's not working that they sent me. Is this new users only, Sam? Can you find out for me? Anyway, 30% off. Kickoff 30. Kickoff 3-0. You get 30% off any pff subscription right now so all these grades and stats that we're talking about they're all available over at pff with our kickoff 30 sale 30 percent off all right man that'll do it we'll be back so big news this week mm-hmm. bonus show on wednesday i don't think we're we can gonna, call it a bonus show if it's, we're gonna be doing it every week it's bonus for every week yeah. from from here until forever um so we're gonna go to three shows a week so we're gonna have a wednesday show in addition to our thursday show we've got a very special we're going to try to go around the horn with some of our pff analysts so i think we'll have ian 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 yep. uh our, our guest on wednesday mm-hmm. our fantasy expert over here at pff so we'll talk uh skill position players maybe a little bit of fantasy advice for all you guys that are getting ready for your drafts and getting ready for the season so um that'll be wednesday and we'll be back again on thursday with more nfl discussion because we'll just sit here and talk about what's happening Mm -hmm. It'll be great. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday for our new third show. Thanks, guys.